Welcome to the Old Chick Snowship Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Arthurton. This podcast is dedicated to helping midlife women step into the inherent power and wisdom of a time of life when they often feel overlooked and underrepresented and even begin to doubt themselves. Each week, we will cover information and inspirational topics along with real stories from real women who are defying cultural stereotypes and perceptions of midlife. Women who are reinventing themselves, starting businesses, chasing their dreams, and tackling challenges they never thought possible. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the Old Chick Snow Ship podcast. Today we are talking all things divorce and specifically, well, obviously midlife divorce because that's when a lot of divorces happen. And with me today, I have Martha Bodyfeld, who is a divorce recovery coach. So she helps women move past kind of that initial feeling of being stuck. What do I do next? When arguably, One of the biggest parts of your life has literally just kind of burned to the ground. And I know this feeling because I was there once and really just kind of help women move on from that and create the life that they love. So welcome, Martha. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm uh, really happy to be here and speak with your audience amongst those who may be feeling stuck after their divorce. I I can't wait to talk with you all. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you've been married for 20 or 25 or even shorter, but especially when you've been Mm -hmm. married for 20, 25, even 30 years, and then that part of your life is no longer, it can leave you feeling like a massive void. And I know I felt that, and we're going to jump into that for sure. But I would love to know, how did you get into this line of work? I love that question. (laughs) Oh my God. No, I I absolutely love that question, Jen. And everybody asks me because I don't know about like when you were going through college, but there was no guidance counselor that was like, have you considered a career in divorce recovery coaching? So (laughs) just as kind of, um, so that is not how I fell into it, but just kind of a little brief background of my journey after university. And I got married very young. I married my college sweetheart after university. I had a career in the army, in the US army. And then I suffered a career ending injury. And then a couple of years later, I went through a very nasty, terrible divorce myself. And so I was, I guess I was kind of ahead of my peer group. I was actually divorced in my early thirties, right when some of my girlfriends were just trying to find a husband. So that was kind of, that was interesting. But um, what I realized is I started hanging out with a lot of friends who were maybe about 10 to 12 years older than me, who had started to go through a divorce about a couple of years after I had gone through, I had all made the crazy mistakes. I was looking for love in all the wrong places. And so I had kind of already made all those kind of initial divorce mistakes and was kind of learning and picking up the pieces of my life. And then I had a bunch of girlfriends coming to me saying, Hey, Martha, you went through this. Is there anything that I should be aware of or that I can help with? Or where can I find support? And just as a friend, I was giving people advice just based on my experience. But then a couple years later, I actually had a friend encourage me saying, you know, you're a really good writer, Martha. Do you think you'd ever want to kind of share some of your divorce stories? And I was thinking, oh, you know, little old me, who's going to want to hear about any of my Mm -hmm. divorce stuff? Right. But I just randomly wrote just one day, I think in about 2015, an article for divorcedmoms.com saying what to expect before leaving your spouse. 
And that was just kind of the, uh, the tinder that set everything ablaze in that that got picked up by the Huffington Post. Then Elephant Journal reached out to me. Good Men Project reached out to me saying, we want you to write for us. And so it wasn't really a therapeutic thing for me because I don't, that's not really me. I'm very solutions focused. I'm an army veteran. I just love giving people no BS advice. And so then I started my blog because I was writing for all these other blogs. And with that blog was just no BS divorce advice about how to overcome guilt, how to overcome loneliness. And then in about 2016, I had another friend. So I don't know where all these really great friends who are innocent yeah. asking questions come from. But I remember my friend Brittany said, Martha, do you think there's something to deal with divorce coaching that maybe you could pursue? Hmm. And I said, you know what? I don't know. And so I looked and sure enough, there was. And so I went through a certified divorce coaching program that was a part of, I believe, the International Coaching Federation went through that certification process and I guess set up my shingle, so to speak, in 2017. And I have been working primarily with women going through divorce, kind of being kind of their thinking partner, their no BS kind of accountability person since 2017. And recently in the past year or so, what I found I loved doing was actually working with women, women who were professionals in their 50s and 60s, who've actually been divorced for a couple of years and feel stuck. And they say, you know, I'm done with the legal stuff. I'm done with the financial stuff. What now? I'm really successful at work, but I come home to an empty house and I just don't want to be alone. I can't get out of my head. I don't want to just be the woman who's just a sad divorcee. Can you help me? And that's where I migrated to or transitioned with my career to a divorce recovery coach, basically right. helping incredible women at midlife get out of their patterns so they can continue to, to kick ass, so to speak. <laughs> right. So you and I have very similar personal purposes in the world. Yours is very specifically right. focused on divorce. But I mean, I do remember, um, and honestly, and tell me if you think this is a thing. I actually think that it's harder for really successful women to navigate the divorce <laughs> void because they're used to being successful because they're used to being able to control and orchestrate their life. And then there's this one piece where they're mm -hmm. like, I just don't know what to do with this. Do you think that's true? It's a hundred percent true. Oh my God. Okay. That, is, that is so <laughs> true. It is so true. It's freaky how true it is because what I work with my clients and I do work much like the clients that you work with, with very successful professionally women, mm -hmm. realtors, scientists, professors, labor union leaders, and things like that. And they are very comfortable playing by, I call it like the game of checkboxes that you right. get those clients, you get that meeting and they get very frustrated because that was kind of how they've been conditioned to be successful. And they're trying to apply that to their personal mm. life. And so I, as an example, I have a client who said, well, can you tell me the exact date of when I'm going to feel better? <laughs> and, and it wasn't, it wasn't a joke because she yeah. had just been yeah. in a corporate environment for decades that I have this deliverable, I have this deadline, 
And so what I do when I'm working with my clients who are women at midlife, kind of deprogramming that, trying yeah. to release them of that narrative that everything is going to be checkmarked because you can't checkmark box your recovery. No. You have to let that go. Yeah. Well, I think that's actually the first step of recovery actually is letting go. But I remember uh, being in that position and going through a divorce, you know, mm-hmm. as a senior executive in a company, mm-hmm. going through a divorce. And I'm like, I am not telling a soul because I don't oh, yeah. want anybody to see that I don't have like all my shit together and that oh, I'm yeah. successful in every area of my life because they're going to think less of me. And so while I had this immense you know, burden of divorce, going through divorce, I was trying as hard as I could to push through at work mm-hmm. and keep all the balls in the air. And because I think too, there's a sense of shame a little bit. Oh yeah. That you can't, yeah, absolutely. Like, that you can't control this thing, that this part of your life is, feels wildly out of control right now and you can't ro- mm-hmm. reel it in. Right. Absolutely. And it's so frustrating because it is kind of like an archetype that's so frustrating that very problematic rom-coms and movies and TV shows, <laughs> Lifetime, don't get me started on Lifetime, where they show this very kick-ass, professionally successful woman, but oh, she's got a secret that she's going through a divorce or she's she's yeah. single because she's too dedicated to her job. And part of the work that I do with my clients, and it's especially something that I dealt with working as a, I was a defense professional going through my divorce, having to, to hide that personal, like is saying that you can have both. You can, it's not something to be ashamed of because for, if you feel you're going through a divorce or a very bad personal situation, there are at least three other people that you're working with at the office who are going through either the same thing or something very similar. When I work with my clients, it is learning to release yourself of that shame and guilt And once they do that, they find that they can actually become more successful professionally as well as personally. And so it is, it is unfortunate. And I hear you because I went through the same thing and I remember just trying to keep it together. And I remember my, I had a boss who was just very kind of crusty old army colonel and he just comes up to me and he's very gruff and he goes, body felt, because even though I was out of the army, they were, you know, (laughs) still fine. He's like, he just comes up to me once he looks at me very closely. And this was in the middle of when everything was just complete hell. Like everything was just like a shit storm. And he's like, he just looks at me very closely. He's like, you doing okay? And I just like crumbled. <laughs> I lost it. And I think, you know, to his, to his credit, he had daughters my age. He had, you know, he had a wife and he's like, okay. He's like, you need to breathe. You go to the bathroom for 30 minutes. He's like, do what you need. And then I want you to go home. And it was just kind of that acknowledgement of like humanity and that's not, oh, and then everything became great after the office and I was free from the, you know, from the patriarchal burdens that didn't happen, but it was almost kind of like giving ourselves that permission to mourn and grieve and acknowledge that we are not sociopaths, that if you... It is, you can't just go like a robot in your professional life when your personal life is going to hell. It's okay to acknowledge that and even talk to people who are close to you at the office that, hey, I'm going through some stuff, but you know, I'm, I'm here and I'm, and I'm present because we're not meant to be robots. And that's what gets us stuck in feeling terrible in life. Well, it's so funny you say that because I literally had the same experience where I ended up crying one night in the president's office in front of him after I literally couldn't hold it together anymore. Right. And same thing. I mean, he was a, you know, a man who had a wife and daughters and, you know, he was so kind and just so, you know, understanding and, you know, take a few days off and, 
you know, and I remember feeling like this immense sense of relief, mm-hmm. right? That I was like, mm-hmm. okay, like I don't have to keep the lid on this boiling pot any longer. Mm-hmm. And it was the beginning really of coming to terms with all of that. Like, so what would you say is kind of the number one thing that keeps women stuck post-divorce? Like what's the most common thing you hear? That is, no, I, I love that. And I have coached and worked with women who come from all parts of the United States, all parts of Canada. They're in, they're at the top of their field in every single type of work they do. And it's so crazy, Jen, because there's one commonality and I've been doing this for a few years and it's that what keeps them stuck is they feel the need. They can't shake the people pleasing tendency they have. Oh, that's, say that's more. Number. Interesting. Yeah, say more yeah, about that. No, and it's, it's so crazy. And it's just, it's the people pleasing because I think, and without going off kind of like on a, on a feminist diatribe, we can do that for another podcast, but <laughs> I feel this Please pattern. do. This is the place know, to do that. <laughs> I know we're in, okay. we're in a safe space here, right? Yeah, yeah. But what I have seen is the kind of women that high performing women, such as, you know, such as yourself, such as basically, I think every single woman I know, to be honest with you. I feel, and this is just the Martha body felt theory, that we are raised to always try to get acceptance and validation. So think about when you were like a little girl, you have to be a good girl. You have to dress right. You can't be too loud. You have to get straight A's. You know, you can't do anything that will make people, you know, think that you're from a bad family or that you're a certain way or something along the lines of that. So we as young girls have been conditioned to always be perfect, Mm -hmm. to have, to not Mm -hmm. be too loud, to not make too much noise all of that. And so that conditioning continues in our adolescence with, well, you have to get the best grades. You have to go to the best school. And then that continues even more when you have to be the perfect wife. You have to be the perfect mother. You have to do all of these things. And so it's from a very young age, it's always people pleasing, people pleasing, people pleasing. And so we've done that. And I think that's reinforced by kind of that, that checkbox. Well, let me check this and I've pleased someone. And so when my clients come to me, And when my readers come to me, what I see is they're like, I've done all the people pleasing. I've done everything that society told me to do, that my mom told me to do, that the media told me to do. And I still feel stuck. What is wrong? Why can Mm -hmm. I not get out of my Mm -hmm. head? Why am I doubting myself? Why can't I move forward? And the reason why is because they're still operating on that programming. And yeah, I don't want to knock that because that was a survival mechanism for them. But when you release that idea of I have to please other people, I have to receive that external validation, whether it's from men, whether it's from your job, whether it's, it's from your from your kids, once you release yourself from that, then you can then kind of define your own narrative and set your own kind of scope and live by your own lights. And until you can do that, you're going to get stuck after. Yeah. And I think too, a large part of the conditioning that we as women receive from cradle to grave, basically Mm -hmm. um, is around, first of all, our value lies in what we do for other people. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. The second part is uh, part of our value is in the attractiveness to men. Mm-hmm. And that if you have a man, like a partner, then you are somehow better or right. oh, at, yeah. at filling, fill, or I guess filling the mold or whatever, what it should be. And without a man, there's something wrong. 
right? Like you're not attractive right. enough. And so I see what you're talking about, the people pleasing. It's like, mm-hmm. well, you know, there must be something wrong with me if I don't have a partner or if right. I couldn't keep a partner. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and I do remember having those same thoughts, like what's wrong with me? All these happily married people all around me, which now I right. started to realize right after that, well, a lot of them ended up divorced, but right. at the it's time, right? Mm-hmm. But again, for us as women, I think it's an especially difficult challenge because our value is so rooted in our ability to be acceptable to other, to to be pleasing to men, you know, to reproduce and all of that stuff, right? So Mm -hmm. we're unpacking a lot, a lot of social conditioning, then on top of whatever we have from our families and, you know, life, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's not easy. And I'm hopeful because I'm, what can I say? I'm a militant optimist, but I'm hopeful that it is getting better for younger women, for folks Mm -hmm. in Gen Z, because what I see, at least on the Instagram is there's like a, there's starting to be like a rejection of those values, a rejection of those worldviews that well, no, Mm -hmm. I am not going to be defined by a, a corporate career or how much money I make, or if I'm married at a certain age or even have children. So I think there's a rejection of that, which is great. But you know, as, as we know, progress is slow. But what does that mean for us? What does that mean for the women who are over 40 or in their 50s and women who are in their midlife who are still dealing with that kind of the societal trendles that are still in us. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so that's where our work, you know, your work and my work and the work of other women who are in this space, it's absolutely critical. Because we are, although I feel like those societal trends are getting better, we were still born with those. We were still conditioned with those. And it's still our responsibility to release ourselves of those because otherwise, what do do, do we have? Well, and two, you know, I think for our generation of women, we don't have the role models of women being successful Mm post-divorce because- Previous in previous mm-hmm. generations, you stayed with your partner till you died, even yeah, if you regardless, them, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And now we have women who are opting out for something better, mm-hmm. you know, but we also don't have the role models to say, oh, like, look, Sally has a great life after she left her husband. And so we naturally, right. you know, <laughs> default to the, oh, there must be something wrong with me. My life is going to suck from here on out. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that will keep us right. stuck. And it's so frustrating because when you look at the divorce narratives and you're, you're spot on with that, that, oh, this person is a, is a sad sack. And it's, we either get that or we either get a happy ending, but the happy ending is always contingent on finding another man. Mm -hmm. And so I may be saying something a little bit controversial right now, but I hate that book and movie Eat, Pray, Love. And Mm, here's why. Right. I know. So I'm like, now, now I'm going to get canceled. But what I struggled with, and I was reading that book right when I was going through like my, my very messy divorce, but, and perhaps I missed the point because maybe let's, I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt. But what really bothered me is that is like the central divorce, post-divorce narrative that we see in our society. If you're like, oh, I'm going to go take a trip. I'm going to divorce. And I'm a divorcee. Someone's like, oh, are you going to eat, pray, love your life? I'm like, no, what the hell does it even mean? But what you see in things like that, or other kind of romantic comedies with a divorced woman or things along the lines of that is, oh, at the end of the story, she always finds love again. And that is when the messaging is, oh, she's complete again because she has found love again. And I feel that is problematic. Mm. And what I have seen with a lot of my clients and the work that we do is they'll come to me and they said, you know, they're feeling stuck, but what they'll go directly to is, okay, Martha, I want to date again. 
how can I date again? And I'm like, whoa, 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 let's pump the brakes, sister. You know, what are the reasons that you want to date again? And so they've, and these are women who are very intelligent, very successful in their careers, but they have that societal conditioning as well, that they're not going to feel better from their divorce until they find love again. And now I'm not advocating, you know, don't, don't date or anything like that, but you have to fix yourself first. Because if you don't, you're going to repeat the same patterns that led to the demise of that marriage and frankly led to you feeling like shit. And so that I think is the missing gap is we don't have those role models and we don't have that messaging yet. Again, I'm an optimist that says you feel fulfilled for yourself. You draw upon internal validation for yourself. And when you feel like you can have that great life by yourself, then maybe look into another happily ever after, but the happily happily ever after doesn't have to be with somebody if you don't want it to be. You can golden girls it, you yeah. know, finding a yeah, great yeah. group of friends and whatnot. And that's the messaging. And I wish that that I feel is the messaging and the role models. My role models have always been golden girls. Like I'll, I'll, I'll be honest yeah, with yeah. you. But I feel that is, we don't have those role models. I 100% agree. And I really hope we get that. I really, yeah. and I think, you know, with our continued work in this space, maybe we're making some inroads to that. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, A couple months back on the podcast, we had, I talked to a dating coach Mm -hmm. and um, one of the things that she was actually not married and got married for the first time in her Mm fifties. But like the lead up to that was the search for the perfect partner. And it was, she said it was only when she truly gave up on the idea of finding the partner and decided that she was just going to become the best possible version Mm -hmm. of herself. All of a sudden the partner materialized. Absolutely. And I think that's the thing. I mean, when we talk about like divorce rates are like what, 50% now? Sounds about right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like even the narrative that we're given around marriage from when we were younger, right? Like mm-hmm. no part of that is first find yourself. Well, it's starting to be that way a lot more now, but right. first find yourself and be the best you and live your best life and then get married. It's like, oh no, get out of school, get a job, go to college, you know, it's a check go to college, get a it's job. A check yeah. box. It's check, a checkbox, check box, mm-hmm. right? And so you come into, you bring into your marriage, all the baggage that mm-hmm. you're carrying and they bring their baggage. And I saw the best meme around this was marriage is just triggering the hell out of each other until one of you dies. <laughs> like, or yeah. divorces. Yeah. Or divorces, right? Like, I'm like, yeah, that pretty much sums it up because we're not given the frame of reference mm-hmm. of two whole people coming together. And so, you know, I viewed, you know, just as I viewed my burnout and losing my career and all of that and losing my marriage was an opportunity to really kind of start over mm-hmm. and to create it the way that I wanted to create it. Cause I kind of fell into all the stuff, right? Like right. as life does. And that's generally the way right. most of us do. We're not consciously sure. planning, just stuff happens and we go along. Right. Reacting to it. Sure. Right. <laughs> right. And so it's almost a bit of a gift to say, okay, what do I need to do within me? How do I want my life to look? And I know you talk about, you have a process that you take people through or your, I think it's called sure. your Lionheart Method. Lionheart Method, method. Yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and maybe you could just kind of take us through high level kind of the steps of that because I think those, when I read them, I was like, oh yeah, this is exactly it. It's focus on yourself. What do absolutely. you want? <laughs> 
Absolutely. And so with the Lionheart method, this is not something that happened overnight. This is something that was cold for years of working with clients. And so I call it the Lionheart method I because I'm a Leo and because I think that there's always, I think as women, we have this unrecognized sense of courage and strength that I really don't Mm. think we get enough credit for. And so when I was thinking what I wanted to call my methodology, when I help my clients, it's like, that's it. That's it. And I think also because I've always been, I'm a history nerd and I was always a little bit obsessed with like Richard the Lionhearted. I'm like, I'm taking that for the ladies. So the Lionheart method is a four-step process that I will take my clients with. And so the first one, the first step is we get crystal clear on the struggles holding the client back. And what I have found is the struggles that a client has are usually not the struggles that they really have. So that Mm, might be kind of meta, but if they're like, I want to learn how to date, let's primary example. I was like, oh, I want to find love again. It's been three years since my divorce. I want to date. I can't find a good man. And so that might be a situation or I just feel depressed and I don't know what to do. And so we're like, okay, well, what are the reasons there's that depression from a coaching perspective, because I'm not a mental health professional Mm -hmm. right? or, well, what are the reasons that you want to find a man? What are the reasons that you want to date again? What are the reasons that you want to make a career change? And once you dig maybe three or four levels deeper, you'll see it has nothing to do with the problem they come to you with. It's actually, I'm hurting I feel more less. I feel like I don't have an anchor and nothing I'm trying is working. So we're getting crystal clear. And that can take a while. That can take a couple of weeks. And so after we do that, this part is so critical is I work with my clients to help them overcome the hidden beliefs that they're operating from. We are all, know it or not, doesn't matter how intelligent or successful we are, we are all operating on what I call a source code. And that source code was given to us from our parents' messaging, from our regional messaging, from maybe a religious upbringing. I grew up in a very rural area in America, in the middle of America, in the state of Wyoming. I grew up in a very conservative Catholic family. And so those messaging that I know was a big family. So those regional messaging, the religious messaging, those things, those had source codes and messaging that were programmed in me mm-hmm. that when I was going to school, when I was getting married, things like that, that I was operating from that may have helped me through childhood. But by the time I was divorced, the incidences of being modest and moderate and not tooting your own horn and just going with the flow and deferring to the man, those things no longer serve me. And so I work with my clients to kind of pinpoint what their hidden beliefs are because everybody has hidden beliefs. We all do. Every one of us. (laughs) Absolutely. And some of those are good. Some of those are good. But usually the time a client comes to me and they're stuck, those hidden beliefs are no longer serving them. Right. So once we uncover those, this is where the real fun begins. And by fun, I mean a lot of hard work. And (laughs) so that third part of the Lionheart method is we rewire their DNA for resilience, radical self-love, and self-worth. Now, when we're talking rewiring DNA, I'm not talking about double helix, agent orange going and changing (laughs) your DNA. I don't know. I fell asleep during biology class in high school, but so we're not talking about that, but it is basically we dismantle one by one, every single one of those hidden narratives. And we work to replace those narratives with narratives that are healthy, that are productive, that are going to carry the client on for the rest of their life. It took them decades to form those narratives and act out of survival with those hidden ones. But it's not going to take us decades to rewire that. We get that done in a matter of weeks 
And then we start having the client apply those. All of those narratives serve them. It makes them resilient. It makes them full of self-love and self-worth. So they're no longer relying on external sources, whether it's work or men's attention to make them feel better. Then once all of that work is done, the fourth step, which I absolutely love, is we build the treasure map so my client can unapologetically live life on their own terms. And that's it in a nutshell. Yeah. So uh, a couple of things there. First of all, I think, and you alluded to this, is as women, we have been taught to not see our value in like how powerful we are and how strong we are. And the fact of the matter is that we are way more resilient, way tougher, way more courageous than we ever give ourselves credit for. And like you said, it's like, you know, that subconscious programming that tells us, well, you know, there must be something wrong with me or I'm not enough Mm -hmm. or whatever it is, or I need to seek validation. I need the validation for a job, a person, whatever. And like it's, I see it, I see it in my clients and I see it, you know, in the women in my community. And I'm sure that you do too, like these women who make the decision to step forward into something and they are just like, like kicking ass, like they're strong Mm -hmm. and brave. And they came from this place where they literally thought they weren't valuable at all. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if anything, you know, this time of our life, is, and I, you probably heard me say this before, I'm definitely anybody who's been listening. This part of our life is really all about letting go of anything that is not serving us and Hell stepping yes. into the power that we are. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, unfortunately, it does take the breakdown of a, a career or a relationship or your physical health or whatever mm-hmm. to wake us up to the fact that we are being asked to shift. And in that shift, there is no longer room for self-doubt, for people pleasing, because you can't be sharing your gifts with the world while you're busy pleasing everybody, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Absolutely. And so it's a very powerful shift that sometimes has some collateral damage, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. And it's so hard during when it's happening. It's so hard to see that gift. Yeah. And I don't think I know I didn't when you were going through, you know, your stuff, you definitely you probably didn't. weren't like, gee, this is such a gift to me. Like nobody no. thinks that because no, no. we are, we're trying to freaking survive. And in that moment, you know, when I know when I had my spinal injury in the army and, you know, my whole career and my whole future was shot. I was like, oh my God, what do I need to do? When my my current ex-husband, he will always be my ex-husband, but like when everything was going to shit with us, it's not like, what, how can I grow as a person from this? Yeah, I mean, uh, no. <laughs> but if you do the work afterwards, if you put yourself first, if you build a support team, whether that's with a coach, a therapist, an incredible group of friends who are going to lift you mm-hmm. up, finding work that you love to do, having a freaking purpose that gets you up mm-hmm. every morning. Once you can start having those after the fallout of your divorce, those are the things that are going to help accelerate that epiphany that, oh my God, maybe this was for the best. But you have to be open to those signs and you have to yeah. actively engage in that. That doesn't just fall in your lap. I wish it could. I wish it did, but it didn't. So it is doing the work to make sure you can have that clarity and healing for the next part of your life in this life. Yeah, because I feel like to so many of us in our marriages and with our kids and our careers, we literally give everything, first Mm -hmm. of all, and we lose ourselves in the process. 
And so when I found myself divorced, unemployed and bedridden, I was literally lying in bed going, who am I without those mm-hmm. things? Right. If I'm not mm-hmm. a mother and a wife and a corporate executive and, you know, a gym rat, cause I was a gym rat, like right. who the hell am I? Mm-hmm. I was like, I, I didn't have an answer to that question. Right. And then, and what do I want from my life? I couldn't answer that either. Mm-hmm. And I think the work that you're talking about here is like, okay, I need to now turn this mirror around and right. start really going inside and mm-hmm. reconnecting with who am I? And in the process mm-hmm. of that, like I've, in fact, I'm just in the middle of writing an email to my list right now about, I have discovered parts of myself that I did not know existed. And I am freaking in love with these parts of myself Hell yes. that I didn't even know existed. Hell yes. And I'm like, man, if I had discovered this when I was 25, like how different would my life have been? But anyway, it happens when it happens. <laughs> exactly. Because it happens when it happens. But like doing that inner exploration, like the stuff that you talked mm-hmm. about and the process that you take the women through to do that inner mm-hmm. expo- exploration is beyond value that you can even comprehend, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Cause it's, we just, we weren't programmed for that. And that's the one thing when, when my clients are struggling, what I invite them to do is come back to, it's kind of not a, I don't want to call it like a meditation, but just like a grounding question. And the grounding question is what serves you? Mm. And then somebody might be like, well, you know, my ex is my daughter, this, uh, 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 I don't give a shit about your ex all due respect. I don't give a shit about what your daughter's saying. I care about you. Right. What serves you? And the heartbreaking thing, it's a revelatory, but it's also heartbreaking is I've realized with my clients, nobody has ever asked them that in their entire life. And they've never thought to ask themselves that. Yes. (laughs) What serves you? And it is like, I love how you said that, oh, had I discovered this thing about me when I was 25, how could my life have been different? And so that's why as as, as a coach, what I love to kind of invite my clients to think about is that if you discovered it, it wouldn't have been different because you didn't have the gift of what you have now and the maturity that you have now to take advantage of it. One of my clients, she has recently started to take jazz piano again. And for her, jazz piano was something she did when maybe she was like 10, 11, 12 that she really liked. But her parents who were immigrant parents said, no, that's an indulgence. We need to send you to like a a hardcore math tutor so you can get into this really good school. But so now she's divorced and she's thriving and she's in her 50s. She's like, no, I actually want to do that again because that serves me because mm-hmm. I love the feeling and she's, she's having a great, I can't wait to go to her jazz recital. Another client of mine was the same thing that she loved watercolors and she kind of put that on hold when she was a mom, when she became a mom and when she became a wife. And now that the kids are gone and the divorce is maybe two years over, she's starting to get back in touch with that. And she did it first as kind of a stress management because she has a very Mm -hmm. high powered, stressful job in the legal field. And she's like, oh my God, I'd forgotten how much and how Mm. soothing this is to go to the sea, go by the ocean and paint this picture. And she's like, oh, well, what if I'd been an artist? Had I known that in my 20s? I'm like, you wouldn't have, you would have squandered that gift. Yeah. You would have squandered it, which is why it's so important. And it's great that it's coming to you right now in midlife, because now you have the money and you have the funds. And yeah. you have the self-awareness to go fucking do, pardon my French, but go do something with it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. And, you know, like, what is it? They say every chapter demands a different version of you. Mm-hmm. And so we're coming to this chapter of life and operating the way we've been operating is no longer available to us. Ain't it's gonna just work. not. Ain't it's just work. not going to work. It's like the mm-hmm. complete wrong outfit for the event that you're about to go to. Mm-hmm. Right. So 
Yeah. And when I see, and this is what fuels me and it fuels my work. And I just like, I don't know, I get so freaking fired up about this. Like when I see women stepping into these long hidden gifts or chasing these dreams or like, you know, just generally finding themselves, like it literally like the amount of power that I see rising up in these women who are coming into themselves Mm -hmm. is so freaking incredible. That like Mm -hmm. we, as we step forward, we are literally changing the narrative of what it means to be a woman in your forties, your fifties, your sixties. It's like, look out world, here we come. And And we're unstoppable. If we find that power, we're unstoppable. And it is being aware. And I invite my clients to be like, not everybody's going to love your gift. Not everybody's going to love the rising Phoenix power that you're embracing. And that's, that's okay. Because when we are doing the work to let go of people pleasing, at that point, we don't need to care if anybody, because at the end of the day, we have ourselves to answer to. We have our one, was it Mary Oliver that said, what are you, the the poet Mary Oliver, what are you going to do with this one precious life? Or I'm paraphrasing. And it's not, what are we going to do with it for other people, but for ourselves and realizing that we have that. And it took a long, hard journey with some really long, hard lessons to learn that. But now we have that lesson what are we going to do with it? And that's just so exciting. And it motivates my work in this space for sure. Yeah. And, you know, like I see, and I see this in my clients as well too, you know, like this one woman who they had a tradition in their family to always go to this one specific event. Like, I forget what exactly the event was, but this, you know, they always did it as a family and then post-divorce, you know, they're like, okay, we're going to keep the traditions going and we're going to go to this event, you know, her with her extended family and her children and stuff. Sure. And then she was like, but I hate that thing. I detest <laughs> going to that place every year, but we just did it because that's what we did. Right? right. And my husband loved it. So like, that's what we did. And she's like, the realization was like, I just actually don't have to do that anymore. And I'm not doing it. Like the kids can go, mm-hmm. everybody can go, but I'm opting out. And mm-hmm. like watching her sink into that realization that like, I've been doing this thing for like, it was like a 25 year tradition. Ugh, right. <laughs> right. And it's so funny because I've heard, and I can't take credit for this uh, quotation, but traditions are just pure pressure from dead people. (laughs) And it it is kind of liberating with divorce or whether it is a mental health scare or a layoff or some kind of reckoning that you might have in midlife. If you choose to see that as the eye opener and as a gift to now is my time to actually change Mm -hmm. things that aren't working for me and cast off these things that are no longer serving me, such as things that you don't want to do. If you want to use divorce as an excuse for that, so you don't have to do it, I say, hell yeah. Like, oh, geez, I'm so sorry. I can't, you know, participate in this Easter gathering. I just don't feel right not having to use it to your advantage. Like, because remember, you don't have to be a people pleaser anymore. And that's not just for folks, you know, the, the audience of the folks who are, you know, go are divorced, but that's for anybody, anybody. who has some eye-opening situation in midlife. If it's an injury or a layoff or an illness or anything like that, or they lose someone dear, that let this be that wake-up call for you to actually start doing the things that that make you happy. Yeah. So, what's the like the one final like piece of advice that you would give to a woman who is post-divorce a couple of years and is like, right now she's listening and she's like, oh my God, that's me. I am so stuck. What's my, what's my next step? I feel like I love this. So I have so much good advice, but uh, that I'd love to give, but I think that the best piece of advice is that what brought you here is not going to get you there. 
So that means that if you're running around like a wheel, like a hamster wheel, and you still feel stuck, it's because something needs to change. And you may not be aware of what that thing is. And so that is reaching out, getting a support system, getting someone who can actually be kind of another set of eyes. And so don't feel bad if you feel stuck. Treat that as, this is my one piece of advice, don't feel bad if you feel stuck and unable to move on. Treat that simply as a sign that you got to do something different. Yes. I love that. I love that. What is it they say? The definition of insanity is repeating the same behavior and expecting (laughs) different results. And and that's the thing, right? Like almost like for me, like I did like, okay, what's the opposite of what I really want to do right now? And I'm just going to do that. (laughs) You have to do that. And it's so, yeah. I mean, and I'd been working on after I, you know, I had some spinal issues when I was in the army and I carried a bunch of weight after that. And it'd take me 15 years to finally start working with the trainer. And I'm like, I don't like doing those things. And so she's like, oh, tough shit. Those are what you're going to be doing every day. Yeah. And so you have to do the things that, and I think it was like Eleanor Roosevelt. It's like, you must do the things that you think you cannot do. I would add an addendum. You have to do the things that you don't want to do because that's actually going to give you the things that you want. Yeah. And if fear is holding you back, nobody ever conquered fear from their comfort zone. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. We could just have a whole podcast of inspiration. We could do that. Why not? I know. Next I think time. we just did Next like time. 15. Like we'll, we'll put them, you know what? We'll put them all in the show notes so everybody can like Perfect. write them down. Perfect. They're like um, the ones that weren't correct, but they almost had them correct. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so how can people find more about you and your work? Where's the best place for them to find you? I would love it if this episode is something that really speaks to you and you feel like you could benefit from some no BS advice and having someone in your corner to help you get out of your rut. Definitely go to my website. It's just MarthaBodyFelt.com, M-A-R-T-H-A-B-O-D-Y-F-E-L-T.com. And while you're there, I would invite you to take a quiz to find out what's, um, we got a quiz up there to figure out what's actually keeping you stuck. You can do that. You can get those results. So head over there. And while you're there, you can also book a free divorce transformation call with me. And we can uh, figure out what's keeping you stuck and get you with the momentum to lead the life you deserve. So check me out at MarthaBodyFelt.com. I'm always there and I would love to see you guys all there. Yeah, perfect. We will make sure that we put all of that in the show notes as well, too, so people can find it easily. And uh, thank you, Martha. This was a great conversation. And everybody, yeah, go check out MarthaBodyFelt.com. Tons of great resources and information for you. Thank you for listening to the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend, subscribe, rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen in.